0: Good morning, friends. Morning. It is uh, pretty wonderful to be back with you guys, uh, having been uh, been gone for a couple of weeks. Very glad to be back here with you and back in this time zone and all those wonderful things. So, uh, Mozambique was awesome. Thank you so much for uh, your prayers and support, your well wishes as I uh, was over there. Um, it it was it was a remarkable trip. And next week will be like full show and tell. We'll have pictures and stories and videos and the whole thing. Um, so look forward to that. That will be, uh, be really, really good. So many encouraging things happen there. And I'm really excited to share those with you. So that will be happening next week. Uh, this week, we are, we're taking a detour from our series in the parables. We'll be away from that for a couple of weeks. Uh, but today, in particular, it's, uh, we're detouring because it's Pentecost Sunday. And for those who aren't familiar with Pentecost Sunday and what that is about, uh, Pentecost marks uh, marks the the moment in the church, fifty days after the first Easter, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, when the Holy Spirit came on Jesus' people, on His disciples. Uh, and uh, the scriptures tell us that that it descended like tongues of fire on people's heads. One hundred and twenty men and women poured out into the streets of Jerusalem and began preaching the good news of Jesus' resurrection. And with that, uh, uh, with that, as they spoke, the hearers heard in their own language the gospel as it was being proclaimed to them. I just saw a bunch of teens leave the room. So why don't I mention, uh, we do have students' classes today. So for, uh, for students, uh, and then uh, also our, our kids, elementary age kids as well, we have classes for. So those who haven't left yet, go ahead. You can go. Um, so... That's kind of the backstory on, on Pentecost Sunday. So as we observe this in the church calendar, uh, we talk about the Holy Spirit. And uh, the scriptures tell us that, that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the role of the Holy Spirit is the one that usually is the most mysterious to us. Uh, as one theologian I appreciate has described the Holy Spirit as the shy member of the Trinity. And indeed, when you look at the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, you could say, gets the least amount of press. And and that is, it is by design. Uh, The scriptures say that the Spirit, that his role is to glorify the Father and the Son. Uh, It's not the nature of the Spirit to call attention to himself. Uh, So that is part of that. But as we think about the role of the Holy Spirit, one of the things the scriptures say about the Spirit is that the Spirit is responsible for making us new. It's his presence, his work in our life that sanctifies us, that makes us holy. And what does this look like in practice? That's the the aspect we want to lean into this morning. What does it look like when this is happening in us? Or maybe to frame this a, a different way, there's all these different terms that are used to describe our relationship with the Spirit. Things like being filled with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. What does that look like? When we are doing that, and if we're, let's say if we're doing that right, how will we know that that is happening? How do we know that the Spirit's work in our life is occurring? And I want to set out for us this morning one way that we might look at this, one way that we can evaluate, e- even sort of assess, do a bit of a diagnostic in terms of how are we doing in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And we would say this, that the Holy Spirit leads us into a right head right heart, and right hands. If the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit is happening in us, if we are walking in such a way that we are filled with the Spirit, part of that experience for us will be that we're growing in this matter of having a right head, right heart, right hands. And this is what I mean by that. So three explicit areas that the Scriptures teach us, the Holy Spirit is at work. So in having a, a right head, how we think, how we engage with truth. Uh, This is part of the the Spirit's role in Scripture, establishing right belief, uh, what historically the church calls orthodoxy. That comes from the Holy Spirit. It's a right head, a right heart. The sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit means that we are growing in character. The Scripture talks about the fruit of the Spirit, what it looks like uh, on the inside when God's Spirit is at work in us. Uh, the, the $5 word for this one is they call it orthopathy, right? Uh, a right heart, uh, a right emotional state. And then finally, right hands, right? And we're talking here about service. The Spirit empowers us to do the work of God, which may or may not literally involve our hands, but you're, you're tracking with me here. Uh, but the Spirit enables us to continue the work of God and building each other up, in bearing witness to who Jesus is and what he's doing in our lives and in the world, uh, to loving mercy and doing justice. It's the Spirit's empowerment that allows us to do those things. Orthopraxy is what the church has historically called that. But all three of these are a way that the Holy Spirit works in the lives of believers. And this morning we're going to look at all three of these in Scripture, kind of set them in their context, and ask the question of how we can continue to be growing in these aspects of the Spirit's work in us. So let's pray, and we'll look at the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your love for us is absolutely boundless. God, that while we were still sinners, that you died for us. That you do not wait for us to seek you, but you came into the world seeking us. God, we just give you thanks for that. Uh, And as we glorify you in that this morning, we come to the scriptures as an act of worship. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us. We pray, God, that you would speak to us about who you are and how you work and cause us to grow in that work. Uh, This, too, is a work of grace. And, Lord, we receive it this morning with great joy and with trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So right head, truth. We'll uh, start this morning in John's Gospel. So uh, in John's Gospel in particular, there's more attention given to the Holy Spirit in John's Gospel than in the other three. And there's three chapters, John chapter 14 through uh, John chapter 16. Jesus is talking about his return to heaven. And the theme running through that is that as Jesus returns to heaven, that his spirit will come and will fill us. He makes this audacious claim. He says to his disciples, who of course are grieved about the idea of him leaving, he says to them, I will be closer to you then than I am now. Because my spirit will be in you. It's not just that Jesus will be with you them as he was when he was walking with the disciples and talking with them. He says, the spirit, my spirit, will actually be in you. And there's one theme in this discourse in these latter chapters of John that stands out above the rest. The the aspect of the spirit's work that Jesus refers to most in these chapters is that the Holy Spirit will be a spirit of truth. The spirit will be a spirit of truth. Uh, Let's look at this. This is John chapter 14. It says, If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. He will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Spirit of truth Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as. He says the Spirit will teach us. The Spirit will remind us of the things that Jesus has taught. Right? When we talk about how we got our scriptures, how we have the New Testament in particular, uh, it is this reminder. It is, it is the Spirit reminding the apostles of what Jesus has taught. And these things are recorded for us. The Holy Spirit is our source of scripture, our source of truth. Uh, we read a little further in the chapter, John 15. It says, When the advocate comes, that's the Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the Spirit of truth testifies about Jesus. It proclaims who he is and speaks truthfully about who Jesus is and what his message is. The Spirit is a source of truth and revelation as to what God is like. Uh, uh, One one more here, John 16, verse 13. It says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. So the Spirit's message is is not independent from uh, the rest of the Godhead. He is sent by the Father and the Son. He speaks the word that is given to him by the Father and the Son, and that and that only. The Spirit, Jesus tells us, is the voice of God. It is he is our source of truth and that power that helps us discern truth from error. So this is God's Spirit. And if, if you have put your faith in Christ, the scriptures teach us that it is this spirit that dwells in you. It is this spirit that inhabits, enriches, and empowers your life. You, if you are a believer in Christ, you have been equipped with the ultimate truth meter. You have been embedded with the ultimate lie detector. You have within you the power to discern truth from error. Do we use that? Do we think of the Spirit in that way and use this resource that is given to us? Now, note here again, this is the first thing that Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. This is first. Uh, Not that he will help you do great things, not that he will give you great power. Not that he will guide or comfort you. All those things are true. All those things are in scripture also. But Jesus leads with this idea that the spirit of God is the spirit of truth. And, and think for a moment, why, why might that be? Why might this be where Jesus begins this discussion of who the spirit is and what the spirit does? Well, think about it again. If, if the role of the spirit is to testify to who Jesus is, to speak truthful words about Jesus. Uh, This is so key because there's always been, even in the first century, there's always been other voices co-opting Jesus for their purposes. There have always been other voices who say, Jesus is like this, not that. Uh, Jesus believes in this. Jesus wants this for you. There have always been voices, and much of the New Testament is Is this ongoing drumbeat of don't listen to the voices listen to what has been given to you the spirit of truth gives us an Orthodox view of who Jesus is and what he is all about and if you think about it this is so important because if if we miss it on this front right if we miss on this then everything that follows is, is going to go wonky as well, right? If, if we miss badly enough, find ourselves deep enough in heresy, we wouldn't even be able to say in a meaningful way any longer that, that we're practicing a Christian faith. Because the Christian faith is, at its heart, Jesus. And the Spirit leads us into this. Mm-hmm. Now, think of it this way. If we're talking about head and heart and hands, if, if we don't have a right head, if we don't have truthful beliefs then you might have great hands, right? You might be really gifted, and you're able to operate in power in the lives of other people and affect change in them. But if that power is not grounded in truth, the best we can hope for is that, well, we do some, some good, but at base, we're leading people astray. We're leading them into harm, not into good. Or think about if if you have a right heart, but you don't have a right head. You've, you've got pretty solid moral character, but you don't have truth. Well, it, you might be a really nice person, but your efforts in the lives of others won't lead them closer to Jesus, because there's no truth there. This piece is so critical for us to have. And it, Well, maybe think about it this way. So, you go to the doctor. It's your annual checkup. You go and you see the doctor, and you say, hey, how am I doing? And the doctor checks you out, and they do all the tests, and they do all the things, and the doctor says to you, you know what? You, my friend, are a specimen. You have the body of a Greek god. You have a heart like a young triathlete. You, my friend, are doing terrific. In fact, you should consider adding more bacon to your diet. <laughs> and you, you leave the doctor's office so elated by this news, you decide, you know what? I'm not taking the elevator. I'm going with the stairs. And while you are skipping out of the building two steps at a time, you collapse. And you wake up on a gurney looking up into your doctor's face. You say, what happened? What, What's going on here? And he says, "Oh, it's your heart. You see, my heart. You just told me I was great, that I was golden, that I, you know, all these things. What's going on?" And the doctor says, "Well, I didn't want to hurt your feelings, but actually, you're like one jelly donut away from the grave. You are not doing well at all. I should have told you that before. I'm really sorry. Now, where would you be at in this? Right? You'd be furious. You know, you'd you'd be beside yourself, saying." listen, this is my health we're talking about. I need you to tell me the truth. Or maybe this. Maybe it's time to take the car into the mechanic. And you bring the car in, and they do the checkup, and they check out all the things, and the mechanic says, you're great, your car gets a clean bill of health, go for it, out of here, go. And you're driving down the road, and you discover as you're tapping on the brakes that the car won't stop. and you, you manage to glide kind of gently up onto a grass embankment and the car stops there and you call your mechanic and you say, hey, I'm not sure you're right about this. There's something wrong with my brakes. And he says, oh, there is that. Yeah, you actually have zero brake fluid in your car. And you say, what? Why didn't you tell me this? This is really important. And he says, well, I like to think of my shop as a safe space. <laughs> and I, I, was just, I was uncomfortable telling you that you have no brake fluid in your car. Right? You'd, you'd be beside yourself. See, wait, wait a minute, This is I put my kids in this car, this is important, I need to know the truth. And friends, how much more, how much more when we are talking about our relationship with the God of the universe and what his will is for us, and we're talking about eternity and we're talking about right and wrong and good and evil and heaven and hell, how much more do we need to be people whose beliefs are rooted in what is true? Jesus introduces us to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of truth because everything else follows from this. It's critical for our life and our presence in the world. That we operate from a place of truth, and it's the spirit that leads us into this truth. Now, I would suggest, and maybe you agree with this, maybe you don't, but I would suggest that we live in a time where it's sort of a difficult time for truth. Where we are surrounded by spin... Uh, we're surrounded by biased news, fake news, competing truth claims of all kinds. And it can take a lot of work to determine, even in simple things, what is true. And in reality, I think if we're being very honest about this, that sometimes we're part of the problem when it comes to discerning truth. Have you ever heard of confirmation bias? Are you familiar with this idea? Uh, those who work in the fields of philosophy and psychology tell us this is one of the most common errors that we make in thinking it's it's one of those things that's so in a way natural to us we stumble into it all the time but it basically works like this we have a tendency to filter in and filter out certain pieces of information and the way it usually works if we get a given piece of information and it agrees with what we already think to be true, or it's what we want to be true, then we filter that in and say, that's good. And it, it just adds to this body of belief that we have already. And the filter kind of works the other way too, where if there's something that's contrary to what we already believe, or it's something that I really don't want to believe, then we have this sort of defense mechanism within us that says, okay, I'm just gonna keep that one out there. And we don't quite take that piece of information in, in the same way. And so in this, we end up confirming the biases that we already have. And it's it's not unstoppable. I mean, there's things that we can do to work through this. If, if we learn, for instance, to, to recognize in ourselves those things that we really want to be true, and then to challenge those things, to seek out alternate points of view, that's helpful. If we have relationships with people in our lives, not just online points of view, but actual flesh and blood humans that hold different views than us, that helps reduce confirmation bias in us. If, if we seek out sources of information that are contrary to what we might prefer, that helps reduce confirmation bias in us. But this is a thing, right? This is something in us that we have to be conscious of and, and, uh, and be aware of if it's not to lead us astray. But here's the thing. If you are a follower of Christ, you have a built-in advantage in this area. Because living inside of you is the spirit of truth. You have within you the presence of God manifesting in such a way that as you call on him, as you submit your reasoning to him, as you Allow the the words of the Spirit through Scripture to shape your mind and shape your heart. You have a capacity to live in truth. Do we use that? Do we lean on that? Friends, this is part of what the Spirit does in our lives. Mm. Uh, And I would suggest this too. In our cultural moment, of relativity, of bending the truth to fit our desires rather than reality. If we are to become people who are so committed to the truth that we tell the truth even when it works to our disadvantage, if we become people who are so committed to truth that we tell the truth even when it makes our tribe look bad, If we're so committed to the truth that we admit when we're wrong, if we're so committed to the truth that our neighbors and our coworkers know us as the kind of people who will say something that is true, whether it benefits us or not, we will stand out. Because that is not the direction our culture is going. The Spirit of God equips us for this. Here's a couple of questions that we might, might ask ourselves as we We're evaluating ourselves in this area as we're training ourselves uh, to be godly in this way. A couple questions. One is, am I actively growing in my knowledge and understanding of the truth that God has revealed in Scripture? Remember, when, when we're dealing with Scripture, we're dealing with the words of the Holy Spirit. Am I actively growing in my knowledge and understanding of that? Second, related am I learning to see my world through a biblical lens? Friends, here's the goal. We want to get to a place where if we're watching a movie or we're hearing a song or we're in a conversation or a politician is speaking or we're watching the news, that whatever is coming in, we want to get to a place where our minds and hearts are so saturated with the scriptures. That whatever it is that we're hearing, that a scripture comes to mind and we're able to discern in the moment, is what I'm hearing truth or errors, what I'm hearing in line with the will of God, or is it not? Am I learning to see my world through a biblical lens? One more question. When God's word and my preferred ideologies come into conflict, which one wins? When we find there's a divide, maybe between what the scriptures say and what I want to be true, which one wins? Uh, This is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? And this is only becoming more difficult. As our world becomes more tribal, as as our world becomes more divided, as it becomes less tolerant, uh, it is becoming and will become more and more costly to be a follower of Christ and to hold to truth when those around us would rather hear and believe something else. When God's word and my preferred ideologies come into conflict, which one wins? Well, that's one, a right head, this matter of truth. The second, second work of the spirit in our lives is that of a right heart. And here we're talking about character. Paul in Galatians writes this. It's chapter 5, verse 16. He says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. Now, pause there for a second. So Paul is saying, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you, right? Right? And he says because of that, you've got these two warring forces going on. You have the spirit of God living in you. And it desires one thing. It desires things that are godly. And at the same time, you are are still in flesh. You still have this sinful nature that is a part of you as well. And it desires things that are not godly. And these two things are at war. And so, so Paul says you can't just do whatever you want because you have to be aware of these warring desires within you. Right? And again, this is a very contrary message. The world says to us, follow your heart. Be true to yourself. Da-da-da. Paul says, no, don't do that. (laughs) Bad idea. No. Be true to the spirit that is within you and know the difference between those two. Reading on. Uh, Now, uh, Paul gives some examples here of the kind of things the flesh desires and then the things the spirit desires. Starting with the flesh, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then here are the things that the Spirit desires and the Spirit creates within us. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, what is Paul describing here? Right, he's describing the character, of Jesus. When the Spirit of God is having his way in us, what begins to emerge over time as we walk with that Spirit is the character of Jesus. And this is what it looks like. Love and joy and peace and patience and all the rest. And this is a good thing, yes? I mean, how much would you give? I mean, just take the first three. How much of your personal fortune would you give if your life could be marked in deep, indelible ways by love and joy and peace. This is what the Spirit offers. As we walk with the Spirit, as we keep in step with the Spirit, this is the character that emerges in us. Mm. Uh, In other words, Paul says, if if you are walking in the Spirit, then the flesh is going to become less and less your default. And these characteristics of the character of Jesus we become more and more, uh, more and more what is coming out of us, what is most real about us. Uh, now, I know I, I just got done waxing about how important truth is, and it is. But think about this part too, how you have to have this aspect of character, this aspect of heart too. If, if you are, think about it, if you are just a truth machine, right, if you are so meticulous in your knowledge of Scripture and your discernment of what's right from wrong, I mean, if you are just dialed in on this, but if that is not combined with a heart that looks like Jesus, think about what results from that. It's not a good thing, right? You can have the right answers on everything from justification to social justice, from Heaven and hell to human sexuality from the incarnation to how a person is supposed to run a nation. You You could be right on all those things. But if you don't have a heart that looks like Jesus, you're still a jerk at the end of the day. Right? We've all experienced this. A person who has a lot of knowledge and doesn't have a heart that goes with that can actually be a really dangerous person. Uh, how did Dallas Willard put it? Uh, he liked to say that um, he liked to say Jesus is looking for people that he could trust with power, and part of that is is knowledge combined with the right sort of heart. This is a while back, but I was I was sitting in a coffee shop and. Um, uh, a few tables away from me, there was, was a mother and an adult son, and they were, uh, they were reading the Bible together, like taking turns reading back and forth. And, um, and they were, were reading through a passage talking about, talking about uh, just different sins. And w- when they got to certain parts of the passage, they would both start reading really, really loud so that everybody around them could hear and it was kind of like this really subtle way of kind of preaching to the others in the coffee shop you know these might be your sins and you should stop committing these sins and i'm i'm sitting there at my computer doing my thing and i'm just cringing the whole time right and and it's not that anything that they were saying was untrue they were just reading scripture there's no pure form of truth but the heart behind it was so evident and there was no love for the people around them, only judgment. Uh, when truth is divorced from the right heart, uh, it becomes something that is, is deeply problematic. Uh, Dallas Willard also said this, this quote I wrote down. It says, Christians are routinely taught by example and word that is more important to be right than it is to be Christ-like. And friends, if we take seriously the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have to reject that sort of division. We need both. We need a uh, right head, and we need a right heart as well. Uh, or think of this one. What of the person who has, has right hands, who has powerful gifts, but those are not combined with a heart of love for other people? What do you get in that instance? Right. The, uh, the answer is, you get somebody who's very dangerous. You get leaders who abuse, you get leaders who manipulate. Um, back when I was, was working for a denomination um, in assessing church planners, one of the things that we would do in our assessment center was, um, was really try to dig into this question of character. Right, Everybody who came was, was very gifted. They were just exceptionally gifted pastors. But the question we would ask is, do they have sufficient character to support that gifting? Because if the gifting outstrips the character, people are going to get hurt. Uh, The question we like to ask was, is this a person that we can entrust vulnerable people to? And if you have power, but you don't have character to support that power, then the answer to the question is no and it becomes a, a recipe for danger. Here's how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Right. In other words, he says, it doesn't matter how gifted I am. I could have every spiritual gift. I could use them very effectively. But if they are not combined with love, they mean squat. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Friends, if we are growing in the spirit, if we are walking with God in a way that is true and honest, and we're letting him do his work, then part of what we are going to see is growth in heart, growth in character that looks more and more like Christ. Here's a couple questions we might use for self-evaluation, but maybe ask this, am I taking time to confess my sins, right? To identify those parts of myself that are fleshly, that I am indulging? Am I repenting of those and asking God's Holy Spirit to change me? Right? Bonus question with this one. Uh, Do I maybe have a brother or sister that I trust enough to confess those things to as well and ask for prayer? Uh, Another question. Do I regularly practice the spiritual disciplines, making space for the Spirit of God to do his transforming work in me? Uh, Henry Nowen used to refer to solitude as the furnace of transformation, right? To take just one spiritual discipline, practice of being alone quietly with God. It's in that space that the Spirit of God burns away in us those things that don't look like Christ. Uh, Another question, am I growing in love with God and with people? You know, we want to get to a place in life whereas we maybe look back on who we were a year ago, where we are able to say, yes, I, I know the scriptures better than I did a year ago. Yes, I pray more than I did a year ago. Yes, I'm serving more than I did a year ago. But probably the truest measure of whether we're growing spiritually is am I loving more? Right? Jesus boiled down the Christian life to loving God and loving people. Am I growing in love with God and growing in love with people? Well, one more. It's uh, right head, right heart, and then right hands. And this is dealing with service. Romans 12, verse 4 says, Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body, that is, the church. It says, We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. If you have the Holy Spirit of God in you, you are empowered to serve. Your hands, your feet, your voice, your touch, uh, all of this. It has been infused with the Spirit of God in such a way that he will use you for his purposes in the world. The gifts of the Spirit is how the scripture refers to these. Uh, and, And it teaches us here, too, that these are distributed among the body. No one gets all the gifts. We're meant to be interdependent. So they get sprinkled about such that, that maybe I can do this thing for you, but I need you to do this thing for me. Right? This is the way that it works. This is the matter of right hands. Seeing the Spirit of God work in us in such a way that we are able to serve others. Uh, I had such a fun time seeing this in action uh, this past week in Mozambique. Um, Our our leaders there, and I'm thinking here in particular of our Mozambican leaders, Pastor John and Pastor Maria, and then our missionaries, uh, Alex and Melanie Viana. Just watching all of them in action this past week was so delightful. It was so much fun. They're so effective. Talk about a a group of highly gifted people. Uh, But just seeing the diversity in their gifts and how even in that team, the spirit has kind of sprinkled around the gifts in such a way that that they're all able to do something the others aren't. So you've got Pastor John, who is just like this vision-casting machine. He's always thinking about what will God be doing next? I think I had been in the country about seven minutes before John said, you know, you should come back and do this every year. <laughs> right? He's just already down the road running, right? And he's like this energizer bunny. And he gets up and he speaks, and he can hardly contain himself. I mean, he's just, he's just everywhere. And and he's infectious, I mean, you listen to him, and you can't help but get on board what it is that he's doing. This is how the spirit manifests in John's leadership, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and he's, and he's just going all the time, you know? Um, now, his wife, Pastor Maria, so she has these organizational gifts, which are such an amazing blessing. Because without the presence of Maria there as sort of an anchor, John would just like take off running and he'd never stop, right? He would just keep going and going. Have you seen Forrest Gump? You know, he starts running and he just keeps going until he hits the next coast. Like that would be John. But God has brought into his marriage and into their ministry this this organizational anchor who is brilliant and strong and respected. And and together they just, they form this, this really perfect team. And then you sprinkle in Alex and Melanie. And, and Alex and Melanie are so gifted. And with Alex, you've, you've got this leader who's super patient, super gentle, and he is a terrific systems thinker. right? So he's very methodical in the way that he goes through things. And as, as something is rolling forward, the gears are moving in Alex's head, before he even knows they're moving. This is just how the Spirit has gifted him. The gears are moving in such a way that he's going, you know what, we could do this more efficiently if. We could scale this if, and he's creating systems so that these things can expand and multiply and not not be hemmed in uh, by the leaders that are present in that moment. And then you've got Melanie. And Melanie is this gifted teacher. And she explains things so well, and she does such a great job. She's our chief teacher there in, in our theology school for the pastors. Uh, and she does a great job at and She's received and respected, even though culturally it's it wouldn't be the norm for them to have a woman in a place where she's teaching men. Uh, but it's working. It's the Spirit's gifts work through her. And she's got this heart, you know, where, um, where a mile away people just see the heart that she has for the kids there, and, and the adults too, but the kids in particular. We were wrapping up one of our sessions one day and, um, and this young mom comes up with, with a baby who's sick and asks Melanie if she would pray for the baby. And, um, and you know, and we all pray for the baby, and the next thing I know, they're loading the baby into a truck, and they're taking the baby to a clinic. And like all these things are happening, and it, it flows out of Melanie's heart. Now, you kind of take that as a composite picture. You've got the Holy Spirit working in the body of Christ in such a way that in, in this person, the Spirit manifests giftedness in this way, and in this person a different way, and in this person a different way, and in this person another way still. And God's Spirit orchestrates and brings together in such a way that the power of Jesus flows through them collectively, and amazing good work happens. Uh, do you see this? Do you see how this works? Now, here's what I want you to do. You've got to take yourself and place yourself in this picture too. Because every bit as much as John and Maria and Alex and Melanie, you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. You have a role to play. The body will be richer and stronger and better for your part being played. And the body will be impoverished when your part is not played. The Spirit gives us a right head to discern truth and right heart to have the character of Jesus and right hands that we might contribute to the good and beautiful work of God in the world. Friends, are you letting the Spirit use you in that way? Uh, Here's a Question or two that we might put with this. You might ask yourself this. Am I living close enough to Jesus that the power of his spirit can flow through me? Right, this is John 15. Jesus says, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit like a vine that's plugged into the branch. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? Are you living close enough to Jesus that the spirit of God can flow through you? Another question, do I have faith that when I minister, in whatever way God has gifted you to minister, do I have faith that when I minister that God will show up and he will use my efforts? Do I believe that as part of the body I actually have a role to play? Uh, Can I tell you this has always been an area of struggle for me? Uh, To believe that God will use me. It's always been such a struggle, and still, you know, even having been doing this for a minute now, um, still, this is one of those things I have to fight. Do you believe that the Spirit of God will use you? Because the scriptures say you will. If you have received Christ into your life, you have God's Spirit, and that Spirit equips you to serve other people. Uh, this morning, as we, um, as we come in for a landing, I want to throw out a, a challenge for you here. Invite you to pray these things as, uh, as we move towards communion together. And just be asking the question, where might I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit? Uh, I mean, it could be all of the above, but where's kind of the first place? Where do I need God's Holy Spirit to be filling me and working me. Is said, in the area of truth, in that right head? Do you find this as a struggle, uh, either to come to the word of God or to believe what it says? Uh, pray that the Holy Spirit will draw you to his word, that he will give you discernment to see right from wrong, that he will give you a biblical lens through which to see your world, a right head truth. Or perhaps for you, it's, it's heart. It's the question of character. Mm-hmm. Maybe for you, it, it, it's not that you're allergic to truth, but it just doesn't feel like it's penetrating. It doesn't feel like the work of God is getting down to such a level that it's actually changing you. Man, if that's the case, will you just bring that to Jesus in prayer this morning? Would you be asking God's Holy Spirit to break through, to give you character that looks more like Christ. Maybe there's a specific place. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's faithfulness. Maybe there's an area where you just say, I need the work of God in that spot. Will you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to do that in you this morning? Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's service. Uh, maybe as you look honestly at your life, you would say, you know what? I'm, I am just not engaged in in being an agent of God's spiritual presence in the lives of other people, and friends. If that's the case, pray that the Holy Spirit will empower you. Don't be afraid of this. Just ask that God's Spirit will move in you in whatever way He chooses, whatever gifting He would give you, that that would be used for His glory. And in that, see what He does. See if others aren't blessed through you and see if you aren't blessed in the process too. Uh, We're going to take a couple minutes and prepare our hearts for communion and I invite you just to be praying through those things. Pray through this challenge as uh, as we prepare to come to the communion table. And if you would like to be prayed for, we'd love to pray for you this morning. uh, We'll be doing that in this back corner of the room to my right. Uh, well, let's pray together, and as we do so, uh, the worship team will come and lead us.